Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin reading verse 29, but we'll introduce it with a couple of other verses. But if you're able to stand this morning, please stand with us for the reading. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21, it tells us, and this is what we covered last week, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into a synagogue and taught. So Jesus is, you've just been with us during this a few weeks we've been in Mark chapter 1. We introduced to the ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, his ministry of teaching and preaching. He begins to call disciples to follow him. And then after he called them, in verse 21, they visit the city of Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They went into the synagogue. We went through this last Sunday, and he began to teach. And there, as he taught and ministered, uh, he was confronted with a situation about this demon-possessed man in a dramatic demonstration of his power. Jesus healed that demon-possessed man. And his popularity is increasing. If you look in verse 28, it says, And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout the region round about Galilee. News is getting out. By the way, I, I, this morning I was just kind of refreshing my mind in a different way about the size of the region of Galilee. Now this is not talking about the entire nation of Israel, but the northern segment, the part of Galilee... The square miles in Galilee would be about the equivalent of Franklin County and St. Louis County together. That's, so you can visualize how large an area Galilee is. not a tremendously large area. And when news about what Jesus is doing gets out, it just begins to spread like wildfire. Then in verse 29, after he leaves the synagogue, it says this in verse 29, And forthwith, in other words, and immediately... When they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon and Andrew are brothers, and James and John are brothers. But this is the house uh, where Simon and Andrew lived. They entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. They told Jesus about her illness, Luke, Luke in his rendition or his record of this event, Luke called it a great fever, but this woman has a fever. And he came in verse 31 and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city talking about Capernaum and all the city was gathered together at the door and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him the devils knew him, were very familiar with him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. 
And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word today. What a blessing it is to gather like this, to sing praises to you, to rejoice in your goodness. Lord, just to celebrate the grace of God. And thank you now for we can read the Bible together and look into the scriptures together. We pray for your help today. Help us to be attentive, alert, receptive, and obedient to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love this passage. When I read about this passage, and I'm familiar with it in other parts of the Gospels, I, I imagine what it would be like a day, in the, a day, just one day, in the life of Jesus. Now, as I said earlier, this day began, this day, the very day we're talking about here in our text, began with Jesus making a visit to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on Saturday. He taught there, he ministered there, he helped this man with this tremendous spiritual need. He walked from the synagogue to the home of Simon, and there he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And then the Bible says about sundown, as the sun was setting, they began to assemble at the, at the porch, at the door of the house, until the Bible says all the town came, multitudes of people. Now how long he was there, but he ministered to these people over and over and over. People that were demon-possessed, people that had every imaginable kind of disease, people who needed spiritual guidance, and just reading about it exhausts me. And then he goes to bed at night, and then long before the sun comes up, he slips away in private to pray. And they found him in this isolated place. A day in the life of Jesus. Could you imagine trying to keep pace with what Jesus was doing? Now, Jesus was indeed God in the flesh, but he was also in a body of flesh. A body of flesh like you and I have. And there were times, the Bible records, when he was weary, when he would be physically exhausted. But his stamina, to me, is amazing. It's amazing. Just to think about it. Now, there's a lot of lessons from this passage that I want us to look at this morning. But the first simple lesson that I want to think about is this. There was never a time when Jesus was not available. And by the way, there's never a time and never a situation when Jesus is not concerned. He, he healed this demonized man on the day of rest, on the Sabbath day in the place of worship. He goes from there into a private home, and there he healed Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick with a fever. Now, I'm not minimizing being sick with a fever, but to me, if you were to put these things on a scale, a person screaming out, controlled by demons, and someone being sick with a fever, they're not exactly on the same level. Would you say that? I mean, I, you and I might take on the fever, but I don't know about the demon-possessed guy. But you know what we learn from this is that to Jesus, there's never a situation that is too large and never a situation that is too small for Jesus to be concerned about. Never a time, either on 
the Sabbath day, the day of worship, or in a private residence or wherever it might be, that he puts a do not disturb sign on his door. Nothing is too large, nothing is too small. He's always accessible. And, and the disciples, as close as they were to Jesus, they didn't always understand this. As a matter of fact, we'll read this in another passage at another time. But there was a time when they suggested, let's just send the people away. I mean, we, we need a break. Let's send the people away. Sometimes they didn't understand, but Jesus was always available. By the way, just so you know, Jesus' life was not a life of leisure. Sometimes the disciples saw people as a burden. But Jesus always looked on people with compassion. So that's the first lesson I see. The second lesson I see from this is from the life of Peter's mother-in-law. I'll just mention it briefly. <clears throat> but Peter was married. You know, some people uh, teach that Peter was the first pope, right? And that people, f- people follow after uh, this person, the pope, as though he was sort of in succession after uh, Peter... Uh, and, of course, they believe in, in this vow of celibacy where, you know, the Pope and priests are not supposed to have a wife. But, but Peter would not have qualified because he had to have a wife, right? I mean, who would have a mother-in-law without a wife? Right? It doesn't make sense. So he, he definitely was a married man. And, his, and he has this mother-in-law who's ill, it says, And in verse 30, Peter's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and they told him about her. But here's the point I want to minister. Notice in verse 31, it says, And he, Jesus, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And the last part is what I want to make note of. And she ministered unto them. Now, when it says she ministered unto them, I'm sure it's talking about things about caring for the guests in the home. I mean, imagine it's after church on Sunday and and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of preachers show up and they got a couple of other preachers with them and and, uh, you're supposed to prepare for these people and provide for them. But not only do you have four preachers coming to your house, you also have Jesus come into your house. And so she wants to join in, the, in preparing for them, ministering to them. And we can only assume this, and I think would be accurate in assuming this, that in her, her sickness prevented her from ministering to her guests. But here's the point. As soon as her sickness was gone, she resumed her, min, her serving. It says again, I want to read it, because I love to read this verse 31. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Now, from that, I take away a lesson. Not that it's not isolated, not new, but it just affirms a lot of that we know and believe about the Gospels and about the Lord. And that is, He helps us that we might help others. He ministers to us, not just so that we can be better, but so that we can help other people do better. And to me, there's something wrong with the notion that we want Jesus to help us, but we're not interested in helping anyone else. As soon as she got better, she went back to serving. And then we get beyond that to this mass of humanity that comes to the door at Simon and Andrew and Simon's family's house in verse 32. 
And at even when the sun was set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Now, it's good to be reminded sometimes that there never has been a need that's too great for Jesus. Never. Not in severity, not in number, it doesn't exist. All, look in verse 32, all that were diseased. Can you imagine that? Bringing, and, it's, and it says in verse 33 to help us grasp the, the uh, magnitude of this event. Verse 33 says, and all the city was gathered together at the door. All these people, diseased people, verse 32 says, and them that were possessed with devils. I mean, imagine this group of people gathered at the door, no matter what the disease was, no matter how severe it was. In our day, we'd think about things like cancer, think about all these various kinds of diseases and forms of cancer and blindness and those that were lame and those that would have leprosy and those that were possessed with devils. And, and no matter how many, look what it says in verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils. I'm telling you, he, he healed them all. I want to take a moment and just say, you have to appreciate what this is like. No matter how many times we read the Gospels, this should not get old to us. What Jesus was able to do. What Jesus was capable of doing. And rather than sit here and think, well then why doesn't he do this for me? I would suggest we sit here and think, look what he's capable of doing. For all of these people, that Jesus was there. There's never been a, a time in recorded history. Never. In all these thousands of years of recorded history, there was only one little three-year window of time when what we're talking about ever took place on this planet. And that's when Jesus' ministry was taking place. Now, there were isolated healings in the Old Testament. Naaman's leprosy is one, right? He dips himself in the Jordan River seven times, and his body, though it was covered with leprosy, was immediately healed. There were examples in the Old Testament of healing. There are examples in the New Testament of healings. And quite frankly, people are still being healed. There are times the Lord touches people and heals people today. But there's never been a time when virtually everyone in town could be healed in a few hours of time. Now I know that people teach that that's still going on. There are people who believe that is they have this power today, but I'm telling you, they're either deceived or dishonest. That no one has that kind of power today. No one. In the days of Jesus, he could have visited Mercy Hospital in Washington and emptied the hospital in a moment's time. Nobody has that kind of power. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just being honest with you today. There's only been one time in recorded history when this kind of miraculous behavior was the norm. And that's when Jesus was walking around on the seas of Galilee and visiting these towns of Galilee. I think it's important to think about this because sometimes people get upset 
Because God doesn't heal every sickness. And God doesn't heal every disease. But I'm telling you today, it's never been that way. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, ever since they sinned, sin and sickness and death has become a part of life. And it's still that way. It's still that way. And I, don't, I, I can't decide. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. Sometimes God does heal people. Sometimes God heals people instantly. Sometimes God uses medicine or some kind of therapy to help people. I believe that God still does that. But sometimes God does not heal. We've all felt it. The personal sickness, we've had sicknesses in our body. Most people here have had sickness. We've had some form of disease. We've lost loved ones that were dear to us to terminal diseases. We felt the pain, the agony we have as a family. People that we loved, most of y'all know that our family felt the deep pain of losing a baby in the last week before that baby's birth would be celebrated. We don't question God's goodness or blame God for it. It's not God's fault that sickness has come into this world. It's not God's fault that disease has come into this world, that sin, it's because of man's choices. And I'm not saying it's because of a person's sin that they get sick. I'm just saying sin brought this great, great dilemma upon the human race. And all these things are the result of a fallen world. But we can thank God today that there it will be a day when there will be no more pain. And no more sickness. And no more death. If you heard the news yesterday, you heard that one of our former presidents, George H.W. Bush, passed away yesterday. Which was a reminder to me that no matter how important you are or how wealthy you are all of us have to deal with the reality of sickness and death we don't know if he was saved we certainly hope so you know his wife Barbara Bush his wife by the way of 73 years she just died this year also in April Um, I saw this cartoon this morning and in, in, uh, in this cartoon it was the cartoon of uh, the former President Bush meeting Barbara outside the gates of heaven and you can see the gate of heaven behind her and she was standing there facing him and he was standing there in this cartoon with his wheelchair behind him I don't know if he's saved or not, but I'll tell you, there'll be no wheelchairs in heaven. (laughs) And he was upstanding, facing his wife that he had just lost seven months or so ago, the wheelchair behind him, and he's planting a kiss on her, lips to lips. And the character, the sign on the side of the cartoon was, read my lips. (laughs) I want to tell you, Sickness is a part of life. And death is a part of life. And pain is a part of life. And I hope he was saved, but that reminds me again of the fact that those of us who know Christ are going to a far better place. 
where no sickness or separation or death exists. But please hear me today. Just because God doesn't heal you every time you get sick does not mean He doesn't care for you when you're afflicted or when you're ill or when you're having problems. Don't be disillusioned into thinking that somehow there is a life, even for Christians, that free from sickness or pain. It doesn't exist. With the exception, please hear me, of Jesus Christ himself and the apostles that he gave this unusual, miraculous power to, no one else has that kind of healing power in the world today. But what a powerful Savior we have. I mean, when I read these stories and I think about it, I think, what would it be like just to be there, to be sitting on the porch and watching these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come wherever he was and see Jesus meet their needs. And I want to tell you today, people are still in great need with afflictions of every kind. And even though Jesus does not heal every sick person, he came to help hurting people. Those who struggle with physical ailments, those who suffer with emotional pain, and most of all, those who have spiritual needs. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. Jesus is the healer of broken lives. And he still raises those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's what Jesus came to do. And here's something important for us to take away from this. Even though Jesus healed thousands, surely thousands with physical diseases, and even though he did all that, his primary purpose in coming was not just to make us feel better. His primary purpose in coming was to save us from our sins. Jesus didn't die on the cross to heal us from cancer or blindness. He died on the cross that we might receive eternal life. He died on the cross that we could be forgiven of our sin debt, that we could go to heaven when we die. And I I rejoice, I truly do. Anytime someone gets help, physical help, emotional help from the Lord, we rejoice about that. And many of us have experienced that. But the greatest help is to have a heart transplant, to get a new heart, to get a new life. I don't know why this is. I'm not going to try to figure it out today. But there are lots of people who seem to put more emphasis on Jesus healing a physical need than they do on Jesus healing the greatest need we have. See, if Jesus could heal me of some physical disease, that would be great. And it would last whatever length of time I have to live. But my greatest need was not a physical need. My greatest need is a spiritual need. And you know what? I'm going to be healed of that forever. Jesus is the healer of broken lives. And if you're here today and you don't know him, you might think, man, that'd be so wonderful if Jesus could heal this back pain I have or if Jesus could heal this pain I have in this, in this uh, knee or, or hip that needs to re- be replaced. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And I'm not denying that. It would be a wonderful thing. But the greatest thing Jesus could do in you is give you a new heart. Forgive you of your sins. Give you you new life. And we shouldn't, like like the songs we were singing this morning, we should never get over that. We should never get over that. My wife and I were reading our Bibles yesterday morning, and I don't remember the exact words she used, but 
she said to me, she said, I'm just so glad for what God did in our life and has done in our life over these years. I'm telling you, that's the greatest thing. That's the greatest change is the change that Jesus Christ brings into our life. And if you're here today and you're not saved, He didn't just die to heal your runny nose or your fever or your migraines, and I'm not minimizing any of those things. He died to forgive you of your sins. And if you're not saved, you ought to come to Him today. You ought to trust in Him today. You ought to put your faith and trust in Jesus. This church can't offer forgiveness of sins, and any religion that says they are or can are giving you a false message. Only Jesus can do that. But I'm telling you, He can forgive you of all your sins. Wash you, cleanse you. Isn't that an amazing thing? You say, what what an amazing thing. If I could have seen someone that was covered with leprosy and saw the devastating effect of that leprosy, if I could see that, man, that would be amazing. And I don't disagree with that. But the more amazing thing is to see a person who has been bound by self and sin set free and made a new person in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing. And I thank God for it. You ought to come to Christ today if you're not saved. We're in Mark chapter 1. I want to read another verse, if you would please. After verse 33, 34, these great miraculous healings, in verse 35 it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and ministered into a solitary place and there prayed. Anybody anybody that's spent a long day working like Jesus did, you'd probably be thinking, maybe I want to sleep in. If you've ever ministered to people, taught, preached, whatever, you know how draining that can be sometimes, counseling with people. But Jesus, what did Jesus do the next morning? The Bible says he got up a great while before day and he departed into a solitary place and there prayed. After a full day of ministry, let's talk about this for just a moment. Jesus got up early to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. It's a great example for all of us. Sometimes you may think, well, I'm just too busy to pray. I think Jesus was pretty busy. Wouldn't you agree with that? But he wasn't too busy to pray. Sometimes we act as though we don't need to spend time with God. I'm talking about alone with God, just you and God. But Jesus felt the need to spend time with his Father. Sometimes we may live as though we don't need the Father's help, but Jesus needed the Father's help. Jesus spent time with the Father. I want to I mention two things that I think we can assume were true factors in this time he spent alone praying. Number one, it was fellowship with the Father. Though Jesus was physically on this earth, he could still communicate with his heavenly Father. And by the way, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, say this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, prayer is about asking and receiving. It's a part of praying. But more importantly, prayer is about spending time in fellowship with God. Let me me remind you of something that every one of us should know well. The primary purpose that we're here on this earth is to fellowship with God have a relationship with God that's real. It's by faith, it's not by sight, but it's real. Jesus prayed (coughs) to fellowship with the Father. Second of all, I think Jesus prayed because of his dependence upon the Father. 
Jesus demonstrated for us not just what it's like to be God with unlimited power, but Jesus demonstrated to us what it's be like to be a man who is dependent upon God. Jesus said more than once, he only did the things he saw his father do. He only said the things that he knew his father was saying. He said his works that he did were the works of the father. It's in prayer that we yield ourselves to him. It should not be a surprise if a person can go through their day or go through their week living as though they don't really have a close relationship with God and they're just depending on themselves if they're not yielding themselves to God. Nobody can make you yield yourself to God. You have to do that personally. Wouldn't it be a great thing if I could stand here today and make every person in this room just yield themselves to God on a daily basis? But no, you have to do that every day of your life. You have to say, God, this is my life belongs to you. I want to depend on you. Help me today. Help me as I go through this day. Give me the wisdom that I need. I want you to help me and direct me in my life. Jesus didn't save us so we could go through life in our own power and ability. Jesus saved us that we could live our life that he's chosen for us dependent upon God. You know, Jesus came to die for our sins. We know that. Jesus came, as we already said, to heal hurting people. Jesus came, as we've already read, to teach people the Word of God. But I'll tell you another reason Jesus came. He came to show us how to live. He came to give us an example. And let me sh- let's just see the example He gave us. Start your day off dependent upon God. Start your day off in prayer every day. And so we find Jesus in verse 35 going out early to pray. Verse 36 says... And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't wake them up. Say, hey guys, get up, you lazy bums. We're going to go pray. Jesus didn't wake them up. Jesus went out and started praying. But this is what disciples do. Disciples follow Jesus. And so they went up, it says in verse 36, Simon and they were with him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, He didn't say, okay, line them up. We're going to keep healing people here. He didn't say that. He said this, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. By the way, I think you could could, uh, ascertain this from that, that Jesus was not just saying, I'm going to go everywhere and heal people all the time. He said, I need to go preach the gospel. I need to go preach in other places. And that's the thought that I want to end with today. That that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save that which are lost, those which are lost. And just like there's no need too great or no need too small, and just like for Jesus there's no inappropriate time, morning or night, it doesn't matter, the place doesn't matter, the need doesn't matter, the same is true about where you go because Jesus said there's no place that he doesn't want to go and reach. Aren't you glad one day Jesus came to our town? Aren't you glad that Jesus came to your life? And that hasn't changed. The work is never done. See, looking at the life of Jesus, we see things that we could never do. We could never heal people like Jesus did. We could never deliver people like Jesus did. But we also see in the life of Jesus things we should do. We ought to be concerned about others. 
We ought to have a prayer life, a daily prayer life, a meaningful prayer life. And we always keep this in our mind, that there's someone else that needs to hear. There's someone else we need to reach. And I'm going to say this today, and I don't mean this to be uh, criticizing or condemning, but there are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus who don't do these things. They don't spend time every day in devotion with God. And they seldom, if ever, reach out to someone else or give to support missions or pray for missionaries. That's what Jesus modeled for us. That's what Jesus lived to do. And we're his followers. Some people, some people are unlike Simon Peter's mother-in-law in this regard. They want Jesus to help them. Every time they have a financial need, every time they get sick, every time they get worried, they want Jesus to help them. But as soon as she got help, she started helping other people. What an example for us today to be followers of Jesus Christ. All this happened, by the way, in one day. A day in the life of Jesus. The things that only Jesus could do the thing that Jesus wants us to learn from. Let's take this home with us today. Like Peter's mother-in-law, when Jesus helps us, let's help others. Let's be mindful of others. Let's remember today that whatever your needs are, and you may be sitting here today with a financial need or a family need, an emotional need, a spiritual need, a physical, whatever your needs are, bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if, but if Jesus needed to pray, if Jesus needed to pray, don't you think we need to pray? Don't you think we need to spend time with Him in prayer? And who is it out there that we need to take Jesus to? There's someone. I assure you there's someone. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I fall short and fail so often when it comes to being like Jesus. But I want to be more like Him. I want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. I hope that's your desire today. Today would be a good day to say, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus.